Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. This is episode number 84, uh, which is cool. I am trying to think of something that we could do for episode 100 uh, of the podcast. Um, I spoke to Kira about it and we have no idea, but we should mark it in some way. So uh, if you have any ideas, please let us know what you think we should do. Um, I don't know. I thought like a live podcast, but then I was like, "Mm, is that a bit lame? Will anyone show up? Uh, What makes that better than anything else? Like, some kind of a giveaway but like how do you even run that i don't know so let me know what you think i could use your hand on that it would be nice to mark it or we just say welcome back it's episode 100 and we made it so open to any thoughts uh on that end it is a very nice summer's day here in ireland which is has been very rare this summer i just had a nice toasted sandwich for lunch so some ham and cheese a little bit of mayo and some tomato into the George Foreman. Before I met Kira, I always underdid my cheese. So now I can truly appreciate, well now, like for the last 10 years, I can truly appreciate a toasted sandwich as it should be, which is just like seven blocks of cheese just dripping out the side. And yes, it is much unhealthier, but it is very tasty. Um... Funnily enough, I would never buy a toasted ham and cheese sandwich in a cafe or a deli or anything like that. I would always go for chicken because I feel like when you go into a cafe, I was just thinking about this the other day, I'd always get chicken. Uh, Kira was here and Dinny was here. We were doing some filming and Kira went to get us sandwiches and we had a conversation and I went with the Cajun chicken sandwich and... I feel like some cafes will screw you. They'll put in like this half a slice of ham and you end up with nothing, only bread. But in with chicken, it's harder for them to screw you because they kind of it, it, the sandwich looks a bit like puffy. It has to be bulkier um, and they have to kind of fill it into the corners a bit. So. So, yeah, that's my that's my thoughts on that. Um, I'm going to do a solo pod today. I'm just going to answer between one and two questions nice and quickly. And uh, yeah, we'll see how we go. So one question was kind of a question. Yeah, it was a question, but it was a conversation I had with someone. And it was with reference to the podcast that I did with Alan Murdoch, which was episode 82, two episodes ago. And also uh, with regards to Jonas's episode, which I don't have the Speedworks episode. Sorry, there's the ham and cheese coming coming back up now which maybe was a bad idea Jonas's episode as well because the person asked around switching projection and reactivity which we spoke about in those two episodes so I would highly recommend checking those two episodes out and those two people out two very very smart good coaches or great coaches um, and the episode would be a good place to start so switching projection and reactivity and the question kind of started with like what or which do you think is most lacking in the majority of people's rehab slash gym work? So that's where it kind of started. And then the second part, uh, oh, oh no, 
that was the sorry that was the question i don't have the second part down but yeah it was kind of a, a conversation the whole kind of thing was around like so also give me an example of some exercises of this and blah 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 blah. so switching projection reactivity which do you think is the most lacking in the majority of people's rehab slash gym work um and i would say it's all it's all are actually yeah most people like traditionally what you see from most people's gym work it's all it's all lacking usually and kind of for good reason because those three things more than more are are more present obviously they're 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 words to describe what jonas used to describe and alan as well obviously good like good running good sprinting let's say so it boils down to those three things and then you can break them down much further so they're all lacking and for good reason because if if you're doing rehab maybe you're not sprinting at the moment uh, so like you're missing out on all of those three, three things in your sprinting. Maybe you're not even running, but maybe you're doing your gym work. So that's where <clears throat> the conversation kind of led us down into. And it was around, okay, like how, how could you train a bit of that work or, or do people already train a bit of that work in traditional rehab or strength training? And I would say some of it. So if you think of the reactivity portion of it, Yes, people are training a bit of that with regards to plyometrics. Now, traditionally, they're doing a lot of like box jumps and stick and stick stick the landings and stuff like that. So there's not much or any reactivity there, but that is getting better. Uh, now, not uh, traditionally isn't even the right word because like there's a lot of people from years and years and years ago doing amazing plyometric work, but I mean traditionally like what you traditionally see in people's gym work is that's their idea of plyometrics which aren't really plyometrics and there is no reactivity involved there there's no there's no landing and takeoff coupled together so the energy isn't being coupled together so um reactivity is missing projection i would say is trained a little bit now not necessarily always horizontally maybe more vertically which you're still training a bit of that um so you will see people doing box jumps again let's take that for an example like there is some amount of projection there obviously not uh again horizontally uh but they do do some projection work horizontally as well again it's not the same as uh as sprinting but that's not what the question was so um so yeah you'll see broad jumps you'll see actually where i think people train this stuff um this projection is medicine ball throws there that's where they'll be like aggressive and like push forward and extend a lot of things or throw the ball overhead or throw the ball forwards in front or different things like that so i think there is some kind of idea or emphasis placed on projection uh there is some placed on reactivity in terms of some plyometrics or at least people are trying to do that but are usually doing it quite poorly um and then the other one is switching so which is most lacking i would say the switching is lacking because if you look at a and i'll I'll probably do a reel or something and put up some videos but if you look at people's idea of working their hips in the gym let's take a squat for example 
there's a back squat, there's a front squat, there's all these squats where your two feet are underneath you and the feet are glued to the ground and your body is going up and down. Then there's split squats and all this stuff where there is one foot in front and one foot behind. Um, and yeah, then for the second set, I put my other foot in front and my other foot behind. There's never really an emphasis on the back foot becoming the front foot and certainly not um yes people do walking lunges and stuff like that but you will always have one foot on the ground uh when that's happening and there is never like both feet in the air at the same time and and the back leg is becoming the front leg and the front leg is becoming the back leg that type of thing so i would say switching is massively underutilized undervalued under yeah just underappreciated not even not even doesn't even cross people's minds this switching type of thing and you see me doing wall work you'll see people doing wall work where like yeah my hands are against the wall I'm standing up I do that hinge to hip lock or bent straight knee calf raise as you see in the foot program uh plug for that and yeah the left foot is on the ground the right foot goes back behind me and then the right foot drives up in front like there is some kind of switching there where the right foot has gone right knee or the right hip the right leg has gone from being the one in front up in flexion to being behind as a hinge back but the left foot is staying in place if the left foot isn't moving yes the so yes like i'm going from a a bent knee position in the left if it's a bent to straight knee calf raise that i'm describing yes i'm going from this bent knee position to this straight knee position i'm going from this uh max propulsive position into this late stance position on the left leg the stance leg i'm going from uh, a heel close to the floor to a heel high high up off the floor but the left foot the left leg has never actually moved the right leg is the thing that's moving so yeah the right leg is going behind and in front but the left leg is kind of staying still in place so that trains like switching a little bit but also the left leg is pretty stationary there so also doesn't really train it um you can you don't have to be and i I think the reason that people don't train the switching in the gym is one they don't understand it because which is strange because anyone who goes gym gymming for a while they go and even if they do fast stuff like they do plyos where they're bouncing really heavy and hard they're doing medicine ball throws um they're doing heavy lifting they're doing 3d work like copenhagen's and different lunges and stuff like that you will still go and play basketball or soccer or whatever sport with your friends and you wake up the next day and your obliques are very sore and your hip flexors and your groins are very sore and it's because the how they control the switching of the hips the co-contraction around the hips um and yeah that that pulling the back leg to being the front leg and vice versa that kind of obviously at speed as well so like that switching can make you very very sore and is not something that's trained and it's not i don't think it's quite reductionist to think that you can just train that by saying oh like okay, I'm going to do a Copenhagen, I'm going to do a hip flexor drill, I'm going to do a lateral hip drill, I'm going to do an oblique drill. It's not the same, obviously, as like one, as both hips switching, switching, switching. So that, I would say, out of the three is the least trained. And that's the thing that's locking people up probably the most in the gym as well. Like they lose their 
mobility and their particularly a better word for the, to describe this is fluidity um rhythm and fluidity because they stop ever switching their hips in the gym and yes you can say yeah well they walk out of the gym and there's some switching going on there but the stimulus that people get in the gym is quite strong and the nervous system kind of remembers that i think and and obviously you start to look at powerlifters like they just don't really switch their hips particularly well when they go and do anything they kind of shuffle from side to side so i would say switching is missing and some examples of what you can use to train that so if you think of think of a lunge jump so you're jumping and sinking down and you're switching your hips obviously in the air each time that would be an example of like a, a yielding type of motion where you're doing that you could do so that's like you're switching nice and deep there you could also do one where you combine this reactivity that's one of the other third of, of the three pieces of the puzzle so i'm actually switching in like a small split stance i call this a split stance alternating pogo so you have one foot in front one foot behind and you're switching and you're being super reactive off the ground there so that's where you would combine a bit of switching and a bit of reactivity there is less obviously less of a switch there it's a small switch versus the lunge jump it's a deep switch um what else could we use for switching you can also use like um uh if you if you stand you have a box in front of you not that high maybe up to your knee height or slightly above it you put your right foot up on the box i and my left foot is on the floor i push and then i switch so that my left foot ends up on the box so like i, I jump up into the air uh left foot ends up on the box right foot on the floor and i keep switching so you'll start to see um that would be where one one leg is landing high up in flexion and one leg is landing in a lot of extension you can do a small box a, a low box version of that because that one wouldn't be particularly reactive it's much more like of a strong muscular push a small version of that would be like uh i have a very low box and i i quickly like switch my right foot taps the box my left foot taps and it goes fast i can't tap 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 that's a smaller switch there again um but again much more reactive there uh so you could do you could do um bounding type of patterns in the gym or marching patterns uh in the gym where you're where you're you are hot bound patterns where you're hitting right right left left like this is some nice switching there so there's a million things that you could do but i would just say that switching is the thing that's probably missing the most and is pr the lack of that is probably the reason why so many people not just that, but the lack of that is a big part of the reason that so many people after a while of being injured with a knee injury or an ankle or whatever the hell it is, they go back and they end up hurting their groin again. Not just because they didn't do groin work, but because they actually never switched their hips, which there's so much groin work there. A lot of people get lateral knee pain and hip flexor issues and all this stuff. You need to be switching your hips in the gym uh where one foot is forward one foot is back that ultimately is locomotion and yes it's fine to not train that stuff that switching in the gym if you're sprinting and playing your sport as well but if you're not sprinting and playing your sport at the moment then you definitely need to get find a way to get some kind of switching work into your gym work or you will end up paying the price i think so hopefully that answer was okay um and then second potentially last question this sorry this was the one with the two parts uh even though the other one was just like a conversation more so that 
we both decided might be helpful to answer on the podcast or to speak about on the podcast. So this was, why do you use slouching exercises? And is that not just promoting a rectus strategy? And then the second part, and secondly, does the slouch teach people to better use their hips instead of using their back? Okay, uh, so why do you use slouching exercises? And is that not just promoting a rectus strategy? I'm going to try and I'm not sure how much detail to go into in here. Obviously, you're on listening to the podcast to listen for detail, but there's also concepts that you kind of should understand or co- it would be helpful to understand. And it's going to be some, some of it is like visually, visually, it's, it's helpful to see videos and stuff. Um, so why do you use slouching exercise? And is that not just promoting a rectus strategy? I guess I should start with saying, given a, like a little bit of a background into what this person means when they, when they say rectus strategy. So that's kind of a, a term that I don't really like to use uh, because, yeah, I just don't love that term. Not that it's not semi-accurate to what's happening, but when people talk about rectus strategy, they're usually talking about breathing. And when a lot of people do breathing drills, especially from like the PRI world, the emphasis in the breathing work is to mobilize the ribs or one of the emphasis is, is on mobilizing the ribs and usually in the PRI world it's about getting the rib cage to depress and retract so we want the rib cage they want the rib cage to come down and back um down and back so that like the front of the rib cage not that the front of the rib cage closes even though that is what they're doing uh even if that's not the intention behind it it's to depress the ribs down and kind of pull them back by oftentimes by reaching the arms forward and what that um, in theory does is open up the back of the rib cage so that they can get some expansion back there and then what the part what the, what the rectus strategy would then describe is that they're using their rectus abdominis their six-pack muscle to like crunch and pull the rib cage down at the front and that is potentially not such a good option. If you're trying to restore expansion, if you're trying to open up a rib cage, like just restore expansion A to P, so back and front, then if you crunch down like that, that's a very compressive feeling. I'll get you to feel it even there, even if you're sitting or standing, just kind of crunch using your abs to crunch down and then try and take an inhale there and you'll actually feel super restricted. And a lot of the PRI people are using that on purpose to make you feel restricted at the front to find space at the back. But I wouldn't think that is always a good option or often not. Not that it couldn't be a good option, but a lot of the time it's not a good option because actually what you want is the air to go A to P. You want it to go front to back a lot of the time. So fill up your back and your front rather than just doing a big rib flare. So I think they overcorrect this like rib flare or a lot of extension in some people by squeezing and crunching people down. So they uh, they overcorrect. So the question, hopefully that explains what a rectus strategy is, which is just like a crunch through the six pack. Um, 
Guys, if you're sick of using calf and tibialis raises with yourself or your clients, hoping that they wor will work, secretly knowing that they won't, then check out our foot program in the show notes. I'll teach you how I rehab and train all of my clients, how to unlock their rear foot and their ankle, how to pressurize their midfoot, how to load and strengthen their forefoot, how to build a connection from the foot to the hip, how to progress through plyometrics. It will open up so many tools in your toolbox and, and completely transform how you view lower leg training. So check it out. You won't regret it. So why, So the question was, like, why do you use slouching exercises? And is that not just promoting erective strategy, which uh, I don't tend to use too much of erectus, like where we're trying to pull people down, even though I do use it with some people? Um, and is that not just promoting erective strategy? I would say no, it's not. And this was where what does frustrate me because anyone, some people that, some people see that type of movement. If they just see someone sternum down or their ribs depressed, they automatically say, oh, they're just using their rectus. It's a rectus strategy. Not necessarily. You can, I'll get you to feel this as well. So if you sit up tall or stand up tall or whatever, and you crunch like we did before. So you just crunch your ribs down, depress and retract your ribs, pull them back and really squeeze your rectus. That's like, you could use say that that's a rectus strategy. But now if you don't do that, you just actually slouch. You just let go. You're not trying to use concentric muscle activity to pull yourself down. You're just going to go one, two, three ugh, and slouch. Now, if you push your abs, you'll feel that they're actually quite soft versus crunching down one more time, abs hard. Even if you have a bit of flab over them, like me, there's still a bit of still some ab in there somewhere. Uh, and this time you just actually let it go and slouch. Now the abs are soft. So just because the sternum is coming down doesn't mean that you're using a rectus strategy. And now if you want to try it where you crunch down and take an inhale, you'll feel quite restricted versus slouch down and just take an inhale. You'll feel that you actually have space. So slouching isn't necessarily certainly not the way i teach it is not a rectus strategy we're letting go rather than pulling ourselves down i think that's a key difference so that's kind of uh that kind of answers the part of is that not just promoting a rectus strategy the answer is no and then the second part well there's three parts but the other part is why do you use slouching exercises so you might use a slouching exercise or a slouch or just seated or something like that, just to help someone relax and let go, who always sits up straight or always thinks they need to sit up straight or stand up straight. Um, you might use it in a split squat where you slouch down a bit. You might use it in several different variations, several, several different options. So you might use it in a breathing drill where you slouch and then you breathe from there to... to stop them extending and to stop them like flaring their ribs when they inhale all of the time so that you do get some expansion in the back but not actually closing off the front that much you just let go so that's why you might use a slouching option there and then the second part of that is does the slouch teach people to better use their hips instead of their back um potentially so if you slouch someone a bit in a split squat so you're going to do a split squat and like every time they go to push up from the floor actually what they do is just extend their back they pull up instead deadlifts they pull up um 
um, squats. They they pull up every single thing that they do. They just extend their back a shit ton rather than using their hip. So what you can do is is slouch them, um, and now that takes away. Yeah, it does take away their opportunity to use their back if they stay slouched. But does it teach them? The second part does it does it teach people to better use their hips instead of their back? I would say kind of no is the answer there because it's again an like an overcorrection so if i slouch someone they are accessing let's say we're doing a split squat and you slouch them in into a split squat they are accessing hip flexion so yes they are flexing their hip as they sit down but because they slouch the pelvis is kind of going to be orientated like into uh, it's going to be a posterior orientation not really like a nice clean posterior tilt that they've done actively through some muscles that you might want to train by slouching their pelvis just gets their lower back their lumbar hopefully actually just kind of flexes and the pelvis just gets pushed under and that's actually um that kind of tucking is more of an extension of the hip so they never actually so their hip flexion is occurring with lumbar flexion let's yeah let's just forget about what i'm saying about extension of the hip but as they sit down if you're slouched their hip flexion is occurring with lumbar flexion so they're slouching and they're rounding their back as they sit down if you measured someone's hip on the table you would let's say you wanted to measure someone's hip flexion you started to bring their knee up towards their chest you would stop that test hopefully if you're a good clinician and not trying to trick your clients you would stop that test when their pelvis starts to move or when their back starts to round which it will for everyone at, at a certain point because you just want to measure where can you go when your hip goes now you can keep pushing the test and their back will still round and that is another measurement it's not a bad measurement but you need to understand that now i'm measuring I'm measuring how much their lumbar can flex really. So when you're doing your table test, you're really looking for, you're measuring for relative motion. So hip flexion, how much hip flexion can you get before anything else moves? So if if, if that's how we measure hip flexion, that's also how we restore hip flexion is how much flexion can you get through your hip without everything else flexing as well. But if you slouch someone, you're not, you're, you're, they are getting into hip flexion along with a shit ton of lumbar flexion. Um, and then they are getting into hip extension as they come up. And if you stay slouched yet or getting some active hip extension there, or they are getting some active hip extension, definitely, but you're not, so you've two options then as they come up from a split squat, like unslouch them are stay slouched so you're going to get some active hip extension but really how muscles work is that they lengthen before they contract um even in the air sometimes or even in the air like even at high speeds of sprinting the the hamstrings like that that leg swings out in front the hamstring experience is a bit of length and then it's like an isometric grabbing i think at least we're not sure but i think that's probably what's happening so Muscles experience length length before they contract. So if you slouch someone, go down into a hip, into a split squat, you're not really getting much length through the glute max because you have flexed the lumbar spine so much. And so 
if you slouch them and you sit them down because the glute max isn't the thing that's being lengthened and loaded then that's not really the thing that's going to push you back out of there again so it doesn't really have much leverage to push you back out of there so what i would say is like does the does the slouch teach people to better use their hips instead of their back kind of but i would say what it teaches more so is better use their foot instead of their back so remember i said earlier when you're doing a deadlift you'll see people like a lot of the time pulling up with their back but you'll hear a lot of different coaches talk about how the deadlift is a push not a pull you need to push down with your feet rather than pull up with your back obviously there's a bit of both going on but the emphasis would be on pushing through the floor same with all your exercises to be honest and for the people who extend up through their back they don't they don't push through the floor that well they're not you if you if you look at them they won't be active through their feet their calves their definitely not their hips or anything like that they're pulling up with their back so i would say a slouch exercise doesn't teach people to use their hips particularly well at all but it does teach people to use their foot if you are a member on dgr interactive there's a layer that i go much like a good layer deeper on this which you should watch the video i think it's like 10 or 15 minutes long and it's called and again yes this is a plug but like it's an honest plug, <laughs> which is like, this is a helpful video for you. So it's a video called um, internal rotation is a downforce. So internal rotation is how we push through the floor. And if you, if you come to a workshop as well, you will see me discussing common compensations for internal rotation or a lack of internal rotation. Now, I don't just use the word compensation. I also use the word amplification. So it's about getting more if you need more, which you'll see a lot of great athletes do. But it's also about getting some if you have none. So you can compensate or you can just amplify your strategy way more. Neither is good or bad. It just is. That's important to note. So if you slouch someone, sorry, if, you ha- if you're someone who always extends through your back, you don't push through the floor. I just said internal rotation is a downforce. I'm not going to explain that too much because it just would lead me down another track and it's probably a full other episode, even though I spoke about it before, I think, on this podcast. But pushing through the floor, we use internal rotation. So if you can't push through the floor very well, you have to find another way so you will extend your back often like a big anterior tilt a big back extension that's how you will overcome muscle slack and push through the floor that's how you'll get to the front of your feet towards max propulsion that's what you will do you will use your back for everything so that's like you could see that as a common compensation for lacking internal rotation you do see that but again compensation doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing so and again hopefully i'm hopefully you're staying with me now so if you're someone that extends your back for everything you're trying to find a way to push through the floor i explained this much better in workshops and online on djr you're trying to find a way to push through the floor you're trying to find a way to overcome muscle slack you're trying to find a way to get to the fronts of your feet and like your toes will start to grip all these things will happen with back extension so there's another way of pushing through the floor which is actually pushing your foot through the floor so if we slouch someone down what we're doing is taking away their back extension 
and forcing them now to push through the floor. So a slouching exercise will not restore hip internal rotation because you are you need to if you want to restore hip internal rotation you need to open up the posterior capsule of the hip and the glute max so you need to get a big stretch through that area not always depending on the case but a lot of the time that's what you need to do so a slouch as we spoke about a little bit earlier won't help you do that because actually you're flexing from your lumbar spine a lot more than your hip and you're not really flexing and opening up the hip so it won't help you restore hip internal rotation, but it will help you teach you how to push through the floor, which again, in our workshops, we have a clear differentiation between learning to find your internal rotation and then learning to use it. Finding it is like loading and opening up certain areas, accessing hip internal rotation, knee internal rotation and pronation. And then from there, you're going to push. So a slouching exercise helps someone not compensate to, fo- to use their internal rotation all of the time. I'm talking about now a slouch, not just a seated slouch, a breathing exercise, but a slouch in a split squat or something like that. So it helps to take away their back extension, which they use as a compensation to find internal rotation. And now they push through, have to push through the floor. And that's how they and now we've taught them another way to use their internal rotation instead of always just extending so it still doesn't usually teach people it doesn't usually restore internal rotation and it doesn't teach people to use their hips particularly well but it does teach people how to push that's why you see me use a kickstand hinge and that's why in the kickstand hinge you'll feel like your glutes are being torn apart and loaded incredibly just disgustingly if you've tried hinges like the way i I describe and you can't feel it it's because you're not doing it right um and you need some coaching from someone that knows what they're doing and i don't mean that in a bad way but like don't say it doesn't work it's just that you genuinely just aren't in the right position that's all um we also have a full chapter on that on djr interactive so the kickstand hinge actually teaches really clean hip flexion and hip extension which helps you to restore your internal rotation potentially at your hip your hip flexion and your hip extension and it can also be used to teach you to push through the floor but in a slouching exercise in general people will feel their foot working very hard and their soleus working really 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 hard in a kickstand hinge you'll feel your glute muscles being torn apart they're two very different exercises with different intentions behind them so to go back to the original question why do you use slouching exercises if it's a breathing exercise i might use a slouch as a passive way to get the ribs to kind of depress and retract a little bit and breathe there although i don't do that very often at all um i don't think it's a great option but it is a really good option for a specific type of person, but you shouldn't be using a slouch in your breathing work very often. You should just have it in your toolkit, but really don't use it that often. Um, And then is that not just promoting a rectus strategy? No, because it's a passive slouch. It's not an active crunch. Um, So if you look at usually like what PRI are doing, that's a much more active rectus strategy. And I don't think that works particularly well, but again, it can work for some people. And then secondly, does the slouch people to better use their hips instead of their back? 
not really. It teaches people to use their foot instead of their back, but it doesn't teach people to use their hips. So this is why a slouch is a very short-term solution where you're just taking away their back. You're just giving them no choice. You know, you're not allowed to use that anymore. You're slouched. Can't use your back extension. It just takes that away and forces them to push through the floor. But it's not a great long-term option because you don't want to be teaching someone all the time, oh, don't use your back. Not that you don't want to work with your back. I mean, like you want to be making sure your hip is the thing that's working and your back is with that. Not that your back should be chilled or off completely. Don't don't twist my words. Some fucker listening will try and twist my words. So don't do that. Um, it's just that you want a really active hip extension. So does the slouch teach people to better use their hips instead of their back? No, you don't want to be slouching people forever or for a long time or much at all, a little bit, because not that slouching is bad, but because you actually want to teach people to use their hips and you don't want to always be like, okay, stop extending your back. The only way for me to stop you extending your back is to slouch you. No, the, the real long-term residual answer which just sticks around and actually people learn from is i don't need to slouch to stop using my back i just use my hips well instead that's the answer that is the residual answer teach people to use their hips really well so now i don't need to slouch my back i'm upright i just i'm not using my back for absolutely every single thing so uh yeah so yeah, I hope that makes sense. Um, I think, personally, I think that conversation that we just had is really important. But I don't. I know that everyone, some people might be confused. You might want to go back and listen again. You might want to never, ever listen to me talking again, which is also fine. But what I'm saying is important. And I am also not wrong about this. So, <laughs> so if you feel like I'm wrong that's fine but don't just say i'm wrong because you're confused my goal is not to confuse you ever but it's also not to baby you but i am not wrong about this maybe i'm wrong but probably not wrong the odds are looking likely that i'm right about what the stuff that i just said so if you're confused you're faced you're almost confronted with something now which is Either I'm going to say, fuck this, David's wrong because I don't understand it. Or, okay, I don't understand this. I'm a bit confused, but that just means it's an opportunity to go a bit deeper and learn. Not necessarily for me or whatever. I don't care. But like, don't just put up a guard now because I confused you and say, this is bullshit. He's wrong. I'm not fucking wrong. More than likely, I'm not wrong here. The odds are in my favor that what I'm saying is actually has a lot of validity you just don't understand it yet some of you uh okay i don't mean that in an arrogant way i just mean stay curious don't just close your mind off if you're confused confusion is good it means like you're working through something if every single thing you listen to and everyone you talk to you're just like yeah i got it i agree with that that's not challenging you okay so um so yeah i think that's the podcast i hope it was helpful and uh let me know please actually that would be really good if you let me know um i'll probably do like a reel on the switching stuff i'll put it up on our dgr education page so make sure you're following that page i have another page where i post clips from this podcast and i just do other stuff up there from dgr interactive and stuff like that so the the handle is dgr underscore education um yeah so yeah uh, hope that was helpful. 
join djr interactive that would be really good if you want to learn more about this stuff and have visual aids and have short breakdowns but apart from that that's the pod talk to you guys next week